Hello, and welcome to the Alien Minute podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm Mitch Bryan. And I'm John Engel, and we are talking about Minute 16 today. Uh, minute 16 starts with the Nostromo still making its way through the planet's atmosphere and ends with the Nostromo descending slowly to the planet's surface. And we have a new guest this week. Uh, we are joined by Jason Heck, all things cinema, all things historical, all things animal, all things military. And dare I say, all things physical culture as well. Absolutely. Jason and I uh, spent five years as uh, DVD gurus on KCUR, and uh, we've, we've talked about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films. And uh, you could go to the DVD Guru Facebook page for the archive of all of our, all of our various uh, appearances on uh, uh, up to date on KCUR. That Fred and Ethel vibe that I remember so well. Absolutely. I was Ethel. So we start with all of our guests asking if you remember the first time you saw Alien, you know, when, where, and what uh, impression did you have? Well, I, I didn't see it in theaters. I was six when it came out, but I, I remember exactly where it was. It was uh, a VHS copy of it that I rented at Video Corner in Prairie Village uh, in 1984. Four, I believe, because I received a VCR for from Santa um, and uh, five free rentals, and I took it home and uh, had a couple of friends over, and um, I, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, there's some element of of having a bunch of your 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 buddies over, your peers, and knowing what's going to happen. I think it's going to you know blow out of his chest or whatever. But then seeing it and seeing stalking through the ducts and everything else. It was terrifying. It helped that we watched it in a darkened living room as well, in our sleeping bags. I think it's great how everybody remembers. I mean, it does yeah. speak to the film, no matter when you saw it. You do kind of remember the first time. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's it, it is, obviously, an extraordinary movie. Yeah. I mean, even kids, you notice things like the credits, the title forming one thing at a time, one line at a time, and, oh, yeah, it... it you know, I didn't. I hadn't really developed much of a thing for movies at that point, but I knew I was seeing something that was not like extra or or um, all the knockoffs that I also rented in that group of five rentals that we got as well. Not Galaxy of Terror. Uh, no, um, extra and the thing that uh, William Malone directed uh, about the Jupiter mission, the alien knockoff. I don't remember what it was called. Um, uh, but yeah, we we rented some some pretty terrible ones, but we also rented one great one. Do you do you know what a warrant officer is? Uh, warrant officer, yeah, warrant officers fly helicopters um, in the army. Um, they are that's kind of the rank for uh, non um, well non commissioned army aviators, I think. So her because her title is warrant, warrant officer. officer. Yeah, he Ripley's is. So what is do the, we we don't do we get that in, in Alien or do we get that in Alien? We talked about this with with Todd. I don't think you ever get this rank. It's in the promotional like. It's in all these yes. magazines we've been looking at. Yeah. Uh, it was in the promotional material, but it never, as far as I know, unless we find out later that we're wrong, mm -hmm. I don't think it ever comes up in Alien. No, I, the, I think the first time you hear it is when Van Leeuwen in Aliens yeah. at the uh, at the tribunal says, Warren Officer E. Ripley yep. is derelict of duty or whatever. I don't think we find out in this one. I think you're right. <clears throat> well, in this one minute, we're... We're uh, we're 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 heading down to the planet. We've yeah. we are descending into the atmosphere. So well, so speaking of Ripley's job, like so, we're talking about her rank and everything. But her specific job, we've seen her do a couple of things on the bridge. Um, in this particular case, I just noticed something as we were watching the minute right before we started recording. Uh, her her display seems to be a topographical display, right? Mm -hmm. So she's is she monitoring the planet's surface, looking for a good place to land. 
That would make sense that they would have downward looking radar, right? Yeah. I mean, we do now on our on, on planes, so it would make sense that when you're descending into a planet choked with fog, that you would want the best view of the terrain you could get. And yeah, it was in her station. Sure. So I'm not going to draw any conclusions yet because the reason I bring that up is actually for the next minute. But I just wanted to point that out. I just noticed that topographical display and wondered if it was her responsibility to make sure that they had a soft landing. I think the topographical display is also there to help sell the gag. Yeah. I know it's probably stating the obvious, but I'm, I'm, I love the interplay between these readouts and, and the live action. And we, I didn't, forgot to mention in the previous hour the roll when, when, you, when you see the ship roll to the side mm-hmm. and then you cut to the, to the shot of the orbit and it's mm-hmm. being, the orbit is being tracked with these squares. And, it, and again, it just, it just keeps – it really makes it feel – real. So even though I don't know exactly what the planet looks like, because they don't have the money to build it or to show it to me, uh, I do get that readout that sort of lays out this topography, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about the displays, the the monitors, and the and the overall set design of the bridge, uh, I wanted to bring up Michael Seymour, who was the uh, set designer. Uh, there's not a ton of information about him out there that I found, but um, I read a little bit in uh, an old Starlog magazine uh, an interview that he did in there and there was a lot of discussion about the practical nature we've talked a lot about the practical nature of the sets and the lighting and everything the practical nature of the bridge and uh, the set design in general and how all of these uh, it might not be a, apparent upon viewing the movie but the, the the set is built pretty much like the ship is supposed to be there's there are different compartments and there's hallways that go between the compartments you get the idea in what minute three when the camera's floating through and showing you all the compartments and then this um i guess this bridge was cobbled together from a lot of parts of of old jetliners and old military equipment they just scavenged old junkyards and um again to put together something familiar and immediate something that you recognize immediately um as something that you can relate to and uh, we've talked a lot about that. It seems to be a very uh, big point of focus here is to make sure the audience relates and understands it doesn't see anything too foreign because we want to be there with them. But And you were saying something also about Ron Cobb. We've talked about him a little bit in the conceptual art. But... Yeah, apparently a lot of the designs that he had done were a little bit more NASA realistic as far as uh, Ridley Scott was concerned. And he was influenced by Mobius and Chris Foss had done some other really colorful, fantastical kind of designs. And so he really had to bring, he kept Ron Cobb on as an advisor to the production designer. And so I'm sure the production designer's job uh, was, you know, as, a, as an architect and a, a builder and to try to incorporate and synthesize all these different ideas because clearly you have all these very strong, you know, visual desires. I mean, the things that, that Ridley Scott wants, the things that Ron Cobb has, has come up with. And then you've got that, really kind of beautiful pattern that goes all through the ship in the background, which I think looks a lot like Mobius. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, a really, it's a really interesting combination of minds, you know? Well, it's interesting you talk about the bridge being sort of something to convey familiarity, and yet it's not like any bridge that we knew from sci-fi, right? right? Think about Star Trek. It's all wide open. Everybody can see one another. And yet in this bridge, everybody essentially has their own cockpit. They have their own cockpit. They communicate entirely through their headsets. So, you know, when we look at, at things like a bridge of a ship at sea where everybody's there and you've got the helmsman or, or a submarine's control room where everybody can see one another, it sort of reinforces the isolation of each crew member even as they work as a team, yeah. which I thought was pretty interesting given how isolation is kind of a big part of the movie's horror. 
How are they working as a team, by the way? Well, I think they're working pretty well. Uh, we're, they're, they haven't biffed the descent so far in this minute, and uh, you know, nothing complicated. No landing legs or lights have been locked down or turned on. But so far, they're doing pretty well. And, and obviously, in this minute, we hear a horrible metallic grating noise, like something awful has come unglued. Brett makes a guess that they lost a shield and uh, some sort of intake trouble, and yet. That well, while that would terrify any of us, Captain Dallas says, "Quote, let's go with it." And he reaches up, flips something on an overhead console, and they just keep going. And I think that is a very clear indicator of what a veteran operator and what a cool customer Captain Dallas is. Yeah, you know, we we talked a little bit about uh, the different emotional states of the crew members and Parker. We decided, you know, he's a bit of a hothead, like real quick to he gets. Emotion. He doesn't respond well at all to that sound. Don't sit in my seat. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like I'm kind of glad we didn't get the Lambert (laughs) response. I'm sure she she was probably sweating a little bit. I see her reach for a handkerchief. I I, right. No, I get it. It's uh, it's a good example of of you know everybody's kind of starting to define a little bit as a character. You know, Parker, as you said, you know, he's he's a guy. He he wants what's coming to him. Brett. Parrots Parker, there's, you know, kind of the blue collar, the labor force, and then you've got management, everybody else. And uh, Dallas is proving himself to be a pretty competent manager. Right. Well, the funny thing, though, about Brett is he actually makes a – he gives some information. He doesn't just respond. He actually knows what's going on or at least thinks he knows what's going on. And he seems to be the only one, now that we talk about it, as, as we actually see some engineering happening, he seems to be the only one that's actually doing any actual engineering like, he's the one that has, like, Parker just spits out, what the hell is that? Well, Brett goes, well, this might be what it is, and here it is. And I think we see that later, too. Um, some of the engineering moments in the film are Brett, not Parker. I'm not sure. We'll That's see true. down the line. I'm not sure if we ever see Parker. Parker has his moment later where he's, he's the Scotty, you know. But it's Brett giving him the information in that moment, too. So, anyway, so that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. And what about but Ash? What about Ash? Boy, he's real mm-hmm. cool in this moment. This is not it. Doesn't seem to be of any concern to him. And we seem to be getting yet another point of view shot of him we looking are. at his screen and we see his screen. So we've again moved, uh, the director moves us into his consciousness sure. in the scene. And we notice that everybody else's screen is something that we can take a stab at interpreting, but not Ash's. Right. It's all numbers and raw data. Topographical maps or radar returns, that's appealing to the human naked eye. We know what that is. Right. Ash's stuff is this just, it's vomiting out numbers and data at an incredible rate, and I don't think any human being would certainly know how to interpret that. Well, and he's the only one that has a direct view of the plane. Like, he has a window. Yeah. Everybody else is using these monitors. He has a window. And now we talk in the last minute about his heads up display and um, how it's used to show his point of view. And I speculated that there's a bit of an illusion there that you see his point of view and then you see the heads up display and it's not really supposed to be his heads up display, but I thought that was a bit of an illusion to his, you know, Android nature. But um, yeah, it's interesting the disparity, the disparity between him and the rest of the crew and what they see and what we get from them. Yeah, the, we have the impression of very competent people who are aware that they are in a very tough situation going down in the unknown, so they're all showing some stress in their way. Ash is showing none whatsoever. He might as well just be lying back, getting a suntan for all the concern he has, uh, or at least all the concern he shows during this descent through turbulence and uh, fog and everything else. The score is going to be taken over here pretty soon by just noise, right? Which yeah. Is, which is again why that beautiful swell happens when when they launch mm-hmm. that kind of lets the balloon go up and 
it's not going to stay up. No, things are things not. are going to get bad. I was thinking about that amazing shot as the ship slowly rotates and begins to, and that the wonderful score, and it's it's like seeing a whale in under the sea in slow motion. It's just so beautiful to watch it turn, and it, and the, you know, despite being model work, it lends a sense of of scale that this is a really big thing going down there, nice and slow. But I love it. I love that shot. All right. All right. Well, anybody got anything else for minute number sixteen? I think that's it. Let's get to let's get to the. The right. skid hitting the fan. All right. Well, tomorrow, uh, take another minute. The, uh, in a new week, I'll take another minute to give a shout-out to the Star Wars Minute uh, with Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer. They're the ones that loaned out this format to us uh, so we could use uh, use it on Alien. But check them out at StarWarsMinute.com or find them on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes at Alien Minute. And um, our website is AlienMinute.com or follow us at Alien Minute Pod on Twitter. We'll see you tomorrow for minute number 17.